0: Hello and welcome to Critical Line Item. My name is Tom Rabbit. Thank you for joining me for this particular podcast. Now, over the period of the pandemic, we've uh, heard a lot about the cost of living and how tough people do it. But even prior to the pandemic, this coronavirus thing we've all gone through, there is a phenomenon that has occupied my guest over a long period of time, which is a thing called wage theft. You know, how employers uh, have gotten away with um, paying their staff the minimum possible uh, and not being held accountable for it. Now, Ben Schneider is is my guest today. He's an investigative journalist with The Age, and he's written his first book, which um, I know can be a real pain when you're giving birth to one of these things. Uh, it's called Hard Labour: Wage Theft in the Age of Inequality, and then Ben, uh, Ben joins me now to talk about the issues, the book, and the process of writing. To some extent, Ben, thank you for having me. Uh, thank you for joining me today.
1: Uh, well, thanks for having me on, Tom. Okay. It's great.
0: Now, uh, a book is a bit like you know entering a entering a home, entering a house through the front door, um, and, and <laughs> entering and, and looking at. Uh, Issues like wage theft, uh, it, a bit the same. When did you first begin to to open the door to this to this whole universe you've written about?
1: Yeah, well, in my in my day job as a um, as a investigative reporter, and before that, an industrial relations reporter, I've been writing about this area for the best part of fifteen years. The, the industrial relations—that is the world of work, um, the Labour Party. Um, unions, employers, that kind of thing. But really in terms of issues around wage underpayment or what's become known as wage theft, probably started in about the middle of the last decade, around 2015, I started writing, started getting an interest in stories to do with um, really abuses of temporary migrant workers in Australia, in particular um, Chinese language speakers, and separately work looking at um, underpayment in retail supermarkets and fast food and from there it's really been six or seven years of pretty regular um reporting uh to do with that that's looked at wage theft across the i guess the low wage um economy in australia and it's taken in a whole lot of issues around both temporary migrants australian largely australian born employees and issues around insecure work, whether it's the gig economy, casualization, you know, um, and corporate structures as well. That's a, that's a large part of, of all this. How how employment or how how, how business is organised, um, and how that affects how people are paid and what entitlements they can get.
0: Can you remember the first story that opened the issue up for you?
1: Well, I was really working on on this story, and it ended up being called. Um, the, it was headlined Black Jobs. Now, I, I, I got to know someone who was a, um, a researcher at, at, a, at a trade union, um, what was then called the National Union of Workers. She'd been a Taiwanese um, migrant in Australia, a temporary migrant, and had been exploited herself. She was then employed by that union. I got to know her and we got talking, and she pointed me in the direction of how people are employed coming to Australia. Essentially, it was a range of Chinese language websites and job boards. And just through using, at first, Google Translate, you could see that the vast majority of jobs were paying significantly below uh, the minimum wage, that many of the jobs had conditions that were unlawful um, and practices that were unlawful. So that started many months of work, working with um, Sherry. Her name is Sherry Huang. But then I also engaged... Um, some students from Monash University, um, uh, three Chinese language speakers who, who from um, I think mainland China and and maybe Taiwan. And um, they got we got to work working through the best part of from memory. I think it was more than a thousand job ads. So I kept a spreadsheet recording what the we could, what the pay rate was. We'd ring some of the the employers and the middlemen. Uh, who, again, were language speakers, Chinese language speakers. And from that, um, you know, one of the students um, asked a, a middleman, um, well, what is this kind of job? And he said, I'll just be very clear, this is a black job, i.e., you know, it's an illegal job. And that was really, this is a really common thing. And in the end, I could, you could do an analysis looking at the pay rates across all these jobs, and they're across nail salons, Cafes, manufacturing, construction—the whole, the whole kind of low-wage economy in Australia. Eighty percent of these jobs were were paid unlawful rates. And that that was a staggering um, uh, figure for me. Um, and from there, you know, you, you interviewed a whole lot of workers. You kind of get into it, and and it's a very seedy world. Um, there's, there's, you know, basically you've got people controlling labour who you know, in a legal sense, barely exists. They've got a mobile phone. They get a kickback or a cut from all sorts of directions. They can threaten people. They can coerce them. Um, people typically quite often want to stay in Australia to move from some sort of temporary visa into a um, a more permanent role. Um, and that that's held over their heads by by this middle, middle man. Um, and so you, you see this whole, I guess, you know, illegal, unlawful, um, low wage economy that's preying on people. And this wasn't just on the margins of the, the labour market, although it is to some degree, but you've got at any one time, particularly pre-pandemic, and it's going to come back pretty soon, up to up to a million people in Australia with with temporary work rights. Many are students, but there's there's a large cohort of backpackers. Um, and the extent of, of wage underpayment and exploitation among those workers is through the roof. But, Further future studies were done by academics, and um, one commissioned by Unions New South Wales, which found very similar results. Sort of 80 percent of of temporary visa workers in the on these kinds of websites or these kind of arrangements were being unlawfully underpaid.
0: See the picture you outline is particularly uh, concerning, worrisome, but also. Um, there's something else that is interesting people know where to find this information if they're looking for it right
1: Mm, yeah absolutely
0: Um, the immediate question that arises is how do authorities then firstly detect it secondly deal with it and thirdly Find a way of uh, um, ensuring the likelihood of similar kinds of schemes is minimised.
1: Yeah, it's a, it's it's a good question, and I, I'll, I'll just take that back a step, if that's all right. But you know, typically, yeah, you know, historically in Australia, regulation of workplaces was done via unions. You know, Australia was had in the post-war years, had very high levels of unionisation mm-hmm. by, by international standards, 50 60% at times. Um, so the the kind of the policing of workplace standards or, or pay and, and, and all that kind of thing was typically done by unions. Like, if, And if you're talking 50 60% of the workforce at that time being unionised, that, that, that covered a whole lot of the low-wage economy. You know, there's always been professionals and other people who wouldn't be union members. So it, it was an extraordinary level, really. So, but what we've seen since the 1980s onwards is a kind of a, it's a kind of a, it's been a gradual process, but you know, it's been a process of deunionization, for, And there's a variety of reasons for that and a variety of uh, influences on that. And so, we've gone from about, about half or so in 1983 to, to sort of more like 13 or 14% of the workforce. So, there's a whole lot of the, that informal regulation is gone in its place from um, at a federal level at the end of the work choices period, the Howard government laws that were widely seen as anti-union, they introduced uh, an entity called the Workplace Ombudsman and that played that enforcement role um, on a pretty limited scale. That's that's evolved into a regulator called the Fair Work Ombudsman whose job is to go out and police workplace standards. So you've got now a a much diminished workplace, um, informal workplace regulator, the trade union movement, and you've also got sort of running concurrently a, a relatively small um, regulator, the Fair Work Ombudsman. Now, the Ombudsman at first in particular, its focus was as much an educational function. It wanted to work with employers. It wanted to educate them about the law. It, it wasn't seen as a, an aggressive Regulator, and so over time, the level of kind of I guess um, big stick enforcement of workplace law has been barely existent. So it's, it's it's essentially like the wild west out there, or it has been, in a lot of these sectors, whether it's it's hospitality or horticulture or you know bits of construction, you know, it's what it anything goes kind of thing so there's just there's, there's an absence of informal and formal regulation and to, to to a large extent that that's still the case today there's, there's been no increase in in, in union coverage it, it, you know after the pandemic or whatever like we're still at very low rates of union unionization the ombudsman's taken a more aggressive approach to regulation but it's still it, it still doesn't take many cases to court there's still you know um it's still kind of got a, a collaborative, cooperative um, relationship with business, which on one level makes sense. But when the extent of the problem is such that you're seeing such vast amounts of wage theft, it hasn't been a, it hasn't been a, an approach that's resulted in a change in behaviour, which I think is what what we, what we really need to see here. You can't have widespread flouting of the the law, like then the laws become next to useless. And just as by way of example, like surveys by the and show that in Industries like horticulture and hospitality, which are probably the two worst in Australia, surveys show that sometimes that 50% or more of employers are breaching the law. Some of that might be minor, but much of it is to do around wages and entitlements and the like. So just widespread issues with, you know, and so there's a real problem there with the regulation of, of, of wages and conditions in Australia.
0: Now, when you mentioned that the the regulator isn't overly aggressive and it's not a lot of action being taken, uh, in your work, have you found anything that would suggest, uh, anything that's come to your attention that would suggest that there's been some form of regulatory capture by employers along the way?
1: It's a good it's a good question. I, I, I've, I've tried to wrestle with this, and I'll, I'll just um, and, and and one thing that I've um, one thing that was very interesting is I got to know a lot of, um, in particular, chefs who were here on temporary visas who, who experienced really significant underpayment and also really significant mistreatment quite often, and um, that that often was their main beef. You know, was how, how they were treated by people and how they were abused and how they had their visa status held over them. Now, their assumption, they they, they might have come from, you know, the Philippines or, or bits of Latin America or wherever. Their assumption was that that they would say to me, the ombudsman's being bribed. This is what's happening. You know, like they, they come from a, a countries that were, you know, far more kind of like overtly corrupt than Australia. Yeah. And so their assumption was there must be a kickback. And I'd say, look, I really don't think that's the case. Like, it's you know, there's, there's, of course, there's corruption in Australia, but the issue here with regulation in Australia is that it, it, it's an ideological or, or or just a different approach to regulation. To you know, I think how people think that regulation should work, um, or, or, or like you know, that it should be about enforcing the law. It, it's a, it's a kind of a cooperative model, like, and it's set up that way. That, that that's the practice. Now, is that is that capture by employers, or is that just kind of you know a a worldview and, and an approach to regulation that they're that they're that they're enacting, and it, it has changed over time. It's become less like that over time, um, just because of the extent of the um, the wage theft. Because there was a there was a cascading um, impact from all this, as more and more um, companies were reported or exposed for 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 underpaying their staff. And it was, there was obviously some, a lot of work by me, but. Some of my colleagues, like Dell Ferguson with 7-Eleven, also, you know, other media, there was this, became a big, big kind of national um, issue. Then you started to see big corporates, you know, have to self-report, you know, like some of the biggest companies in, in the country, there might be a tip-off, they, they do the due diligence and, it, you know, there's significant underpayments from like the Commonwealth Bank, um, from Woolworths, there was a range of big companies, universities, um, even the ABC. You know, so you, you start to see this cascading effect where it just—it was as if like wage theft had infected much of the economy, from like the smallest um, cafes to the biggest, you know, the biggest companies in the country.
0: You mentioned the issue of improving or changing behaviour earlier. Um and I'm given my background i I have looked at the world of accounting, corporate reporting, and corporate governance over, over almost thirty years um to the, possibly to the detriment of uh, other things in life <laughs> <laughs> um yeah, being a nerd isn't always good, but see the the question i uh, continually plagues me when I look at regulation. I'd be interested in your insight, particularly from the IR side, is what what is it that needs to happen in order to improve regulation? Is it a case of upping fines for companies? Is it a case of, you know, ending up with some of these characters behind bars um, and being, being, you know, Held up as an example, you know, the sort of the, the head on head on spikes. Uh, how do you improve the behaviour of people that, that, that you know clearly um, exploiting vulnerable individuals that are wanting to uh, have a better life in this country?
1: Yeah, again, it's 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 a really good question, and it's it, it's not. It's not an easy one. Like they, they have, and we've seen this in Australia, we've seen both at the state and federal level a very big, um, oh, shit, sorry. um, a very big in increase in fines, um, very large penalties for underpaying people. And even in two states, we've seen um, wage theft made a criminal offense in the last year or two, both Queensland and Victoria. There was even a proposal by the Morrison government to make wage theft a crime as part of its package of reforms. In, um, in 2020, from memory. Um, that was part of an overall package. The whole thing didn't get through, so that fell away. But we, we got to a situation where you had, um, you know, a, a government from the conservative side of politics prepared to make wage theft a crime in Australia. And that was something that would have been unthinkable four or five years ago. Now, I think your question really is, is broader than that. You can do all that, but does not make a difference? Now... That that's 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 a sixty-four million dollar question, really. Um, um, you know, it's 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 hard to know, isn't it? It's hard to know what changes behavior and what doesn't. Mm-hmm. Uh, I guess what would be, you know, my my expertise and my main area of interest for a long time has been industrial relations, so I have a sense of how regulation does or doesn't work there. Yep. But for someone like you, it's almost a question: Are there regulators in Australia that? That work well. Um, like we've seen the the cascading scandals around banking, and you know questions around ASIC and a whole lot of different regulators. My perception of it is that it it hasn't worked particularly well anywhere. But I could be wrong. Um, but you know that that that's a big question. Um, I think the fines and the penalties are important. Like it was clearly too lightly regulated, too lightly enforced, and the penalties were were too weak to to provide a deterrent what that should be or what shouldn't be, you know, they're, they're, they're really good questions.
0: But there's also another problem with the, the, the question I asked you, and that is you can penalise those that operate to some extent in the sunlight that are more visible, that have a corporate structure.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: And all of that. But what do you do when you've basically got people who engage in labour trafficking? Of yeah some description which is precisely what you're talking about when you're talking about the sort of the black economy in terms of employment
1: yeah i, I you can imagine for like companies with a with a reputation and um a, you know a structure and, and and all sorts of different kind of pressures that um you know this would have an impact these kind of laws there's also been labor hire regulation in in several states including Victoria, which is to to try to kind of like encourage more reputable operators. Uh, from you know anecdotally, from what I hear, it's been a pretty mixed picture in terms of how much difference that has made. Again, I, I I couldn't say much more than that. Like, it's not something I, I'm 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 across uh, in, in in great detail the the relative performance of Labor higher regulation, but um yeah no they're, they're, it's regular it's it's clearly very it's clearly very difficult to deal with these issues, and you've also got, um, as, you, as you kind of alluded to earlier, there's a lot of interests that are pretty very happy with the status quo. It's it's, it's a good way to 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 do business, like to be able to, you know, utilize cheap labor. Um, what you need is is kind of a lifting of of standards. I, I I think regulation on its own won't get you there. I think I think you know whatever their their faults, I think that you need um, you know, a, a much stronger labour movement would help probably immeasurably more in 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 lifting lifting standards. That kind of informal um, informal networks, that informal pressure um, that that's something that that's proved to be quite effective. You see you see really quite different pay rates for people who are union members and non union members for doing the same work. You know you, you, you see you see less wage theft. There's all those kind of things that that happen. Um, and that's you know is that regulation it's it's kind of an it's, it's a more informal system of lifting standards than just having a government regulator to do that work um, now th- there's a whole lot of ways you can in- that you could um, change workplace laws to encourage more unions but again this is something that really cuts against the grain of the last 40 years where the the, the trend has been towards um, to suppress um the power of labour unions, and d- don't get me wrong, there's, there's been a lot of issues with how a number of unions have operated over the years. It's been a, there's been a lot of problems, and there's a lot of valid critiques of that. But there's little doubt that on a on a macro level, they have a, they have a they have a significant influence on on wages and conditions in a way that probably far outstrips what role a necessarily independent umpire would have. You know. Um, versus an advocate for the interests of, of low-paid workers.
0: I'm uh, very conscious of time, but it would be remiss of me to not ask about the craft that went into putting uh, the book together. Now, uh, when somebody picks up a book, they see it from start to finish. Yep. Where did where did you first begin to write hard labor?
1: Yeah, I, I had a couple of I had a couple of lengthy breaks from work both in 2020 at the end of the pandemic, where I just needed to chill out really after <laughs> homeschool. And I came up with the idea then to, to to work on the book and I did a little bit of writing just and, and had a crack at writing a an essay almost on some of these issues. And then I then I parked it for the best part of the year, best part of a year. Although in the, in the meantime, I got in touch with the publisher, but it was, it took a lot of, took a lot of, um, a lot of work. I spent a whole week with A3 pieces of paper um, before I started writing, mapping out an idea of what each chapter would look at, what I need to cover and just, just really staring at those pages. It was, it was, it was for me at least it was a very useful process to try to kind of organize my thoughts. And to come up with what's not an like it's my first book I'm sure no book is easy but what wasn't a easy what wasn't a simple narrative uh, to, to to kind of sketch out you you're going from the very particular you know like an individual case of wage theft to you know really broader a broader story about Australia's political history or or economic history and, and the changes over decades so I spent a lot of time mapping that out. And then once I did that, that's when I started getting into the writing and and started a discipline of trying to write a 1,000 words a day. And once I started, I was writing a lot more than that. Um, So I wrote the the first draft of the book um, at the back end of last year on on a break from my day job. Um, And then this year I've just been spent a heap of time (laughs) doing edits and revisions, you know, getting edits back from the the publisher, scribe. incorporating new information, you know, all the all the things that involve in that. It's, it's a very time-consuming process, as you would well know, Tom. Um, but, yeah, hopefully, you know, the end result is something that, you know, is worthwhile.
0: Has it scared you from t- going into another book reasonably soon?
1: Um, I, I think I could write another book, yeah. Like, I, I, I'm not... <laughs> I'm a a masochist, but um, I'm I'm not sure um, the the, the key bit there is very soon. I think I need a break. Um, So ask me again in a year and I might, I might've forgotten um, all of this. It's, it's, it's yeah. Um, And then I'll, I'll probably do the same thing again and midway through to say I'm crazy, you know, like look at all the time I'm spending on this. Um, You don't, and and, and you don't do it for the money, obviously. Like it's, 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 it's a tough gig, but it's, um, it's been, for me anyway, it's been really rewarding to be able to kind of, um, you know, doing doing journalism for um, daily journalism, or you know, or, or periodic kind of journalism, you know, to be able to then coordinate all that or, or to kind of gather your thoughts and, 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 and tell a, a bigger, broader story, I think has value. Um, it's not just sitting there in isolation. Here's this company that's done this or this is what's happened to these people. Here's a broader story of changes in the Australian economy around inequality, around labour regulation, about labour history, and this is the result. You know, and then to pull that together as a as a bigger, broader story, I think has value. Um, and yeah, so I'm, i I feel glad I did it. I'm glad it's now published, um, and I don't have to read it again uh, <laughs> and edit it again. But um, yeah, that that's that that's been the pra- the process of writing.
0: Okay. I've been talking to Ben Schneiders. Uh, he's the author uh, of Hard Labour, Wage Stepped in the Age of Inequality, which is out now on Scribe. Um, ben, thank you so much for joining me. It's been an enormous amount of fun talking to
1: you. Yeah, great. Thanks for having me, Tom.